Welcome in to Revealing Grace. This is a podcast focused on the revelation of God's redeeming grace throughout all of scripture and the power that it has to transform lives eternally. I'm Chris Sobeck, and as always, we're here with Brian Chapel. In today's episode, we're gonna be discussing the challenges that have been faced within our churches because of COVID-19 and um, all the different elements that, that have come with that. And then also we're gonna have an opportunity to hear from several individuals uh, as they share their experience. So Brian, first of all, glad that you're here. And then why don't you go ahead and introduce who also is with us? Good, uh, these are friends of mine, James Kessler. I've not only known him, I, he's the second generation of pastors in his family that I have known. So him and his father-in-law and I have been uh, friends for a long time. James is pastor of a fairly uh, young church that he planted on the outskirts of uh, Cleveland. And James, how old is it now? Well, it's Columbus. It'd be on the far outskirts of Cleveland. Oh, sorry but, about uh, that. <laughs> that's right. Technically, it's on the far outskirts of Cleveland. It's, uh, it's six years old now. Six years old now. Yeah. And uh, Murray Lee has also planted a church uh, in Birmingham, but it's quite a bit older as Murray has gotten older with that church. Murray, how long has that church been there? Yeah, September will be 14 years. And, and Jeff Norris is uh, the youngest in the saddle of a senior pastor role, but of the oldest church. So Jeff Norris, you're, you're in Atlanta, Georgia, in the suburbs. So how long has Perimeter been around? Perimeter is coming up this September. It'll be 44 years, uh, planted by Randy Pope in 1977. And uh, yeah, I've been in the saddle here. Um, well, September of, of uh, 19 is when I moved into the senior pastor role. So about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. So. And of course, very little has happened in the culture since that time. So <laughs> yeah. we, we, we are going to have no lack of material to talk about uh, what is it going to be like to uh, preach in the days to come, although none of us know what that is. But, right. you know, the, the, uh, the word is sometimes pretty um, shocking of what people are saying to churches, whether, whether young or old, what we may face uh, after covid so uh, sometimes the Barna research people just scare us, don't they, when they talk about the nature of the church. Uh, David Kenneman, who's the, the president at Barna, says that 20% of uh, American churches will close uh, either by the end or soon after the end of COVID. So I don't, I don't know how to look at that entirely. So many churches are small churches, struggling churches. You know, the average size church in the U.S. is still under 100 people. It's actually more like 75 so you all don't really represent the norm in a sense, but, but every church, every pastor knows, every church is a house of cards more than we know. You know one good strong controversy and we know uh, things could happen and COVID is not a controversy, but we recognize that. Uh, I was just looking at some of the research. Um, only a third of pastors think they're gonna return to the size they were before COVID. So as, as COVID restrictions come off, uh, only a third think, well, all the people would be back and all the funding will be just the same. Not, not many people think that will be the case. So lot, lots in the offing. If churches are in trouble, if attendance is not the same, or at least attendance patterns are not the same, then there are people who are saying there would be lots more in terms of uh, church mergers, which may be sharing facilities, sharing resources. That may be a good thing for the kingdom. Um, there may be church plants of a different nature. I've sent you all some notes. I've just seen some interesting research saying a lot of churches may be planting micro churches. So a lot of those um, 
small groups that have formed during COVID may actually become kind of parish centers for a lot of large churches as, as we think about doing business uh, differently. But, but even with all those changes, we still got to preach, guys. And uh, so this, this podcast is normally about preaching. So I'm, I'm curious, what, what are some of the things that you're thinking about as you're thinking about who you preach to and what some of the issues may be? Now, some of the radicalists out there saying our people are going to be so polarized with each other that we may even have to do things like have services for the vaccinated versus the non-vaccinated you know, and how you, how you set that up. But uh, let's just deal with the polarity for the moment. Post-COVID, or at least as we approach the end of COVID, how is your preaching forcing you to deal with the polarities in your people? And uh, Jeff, you have the most people, so you got the most opportunity for polarity. So I'll start with you. Um, <laughs> how you, how is your preaching affected by the polarities of people, with different opinions about masks and nurseries and attendance patterns, uh, how are you dealing with the polarities in what you preach? Yeah, so uh, I'll start by trying to give a little bit of context. Um, our church sits in a suburb of Atlanta called Johns Creek. Uh, Johns Creek is, a, by and large, a, a very middle, middle to upper class, uh, wealthy, on the wealthier side uh, of um, of Atlanta, uh, becoming by the day more and more ethnically diverse. And um, just to give you a little bit of a context, where our church sits right now, when it was built, when this facility was built in 1996, uh, our surrounding area was uh, 93% um, Caucasian white. Uh, now it's right around 50%. And so uh, major shifts and changes happening all around. Um, in general, before COVID. And so there was a need to be preaching in such a way to where we're taking into, into account how the scriptures apply to the shifting dynamics and demographics around us. Uh, you know, then of course COVID hits and with COVID in 2020, we have just this, uh, this, this firestorm, if you will, of political unrest, social unrest, in addition to the pandemic and all the fear that's being propagated among so many different outlets. And within our church, uh, we have every seemingly everyone represented. You know, if you're talking about the pandemic, you've got the people that are, uh, you know, uh, from the very beginning saying that masks are not needed and so forth. Then you have the people that are uh, wanting to wear masks at all times. Uh, then you got the, the strong political leanings. And of course, as I've talked with other pastors, this is normal for all of us. This is what we're all, what we're all dealing with, but with a larger church, uh, perhaps maybe the voices are, if not stronger, the voices are more in number. And so with that, with preaching, um, one of my aims has been to uh, press the scriptures in, in such a way to where uh, we can see that there's nothing new under the sun, uh, that our sovereign God is one who has, sovereignly reigned over um, significant divisions of opinion and perspectives, even within the church uh, for centuries upon centuries. Uh, one of the words I've, I've told many people, I've told our officers, um, let's, let's make it a point to not use the word unprecedented when we talk about what's going on, because it's simply not true. Um, and the scriptures have sustained God's people 
Jesus has sustained his people as the good shepherd uh, through many 2020s over the centuries um, and 21 and, and just all that we're walking through. Um, that's not to make light of what we're walking through. It's not to say, hey, just suck it up. And, you know, but it is the, the reality of, of, uh, of the wisdom of that there's nothing new under the sun. But, but pressing in the gospel in a way that says, in a way that would glorify the Lord, uh, what does it look like to, uh, to walk through what we're faced with in a way that, um, uh, that is healthy and not driven by fear? Um, that, uh, I mean, just this past week, just yesterday, uh, you know, this, we're recording this on a Monday. Um, I was preaching out of Acts and I just tried to ask four questions that were coming out of the text, but I felt like we're really appropriate for where we are right now, which is, uh, are we living as though God is triumphant? Are we living as though the church is triumphant? Uh, are we fearing persecution? And of course, there's a sub question to that that I didn't press in hard, but are we even defining perse- persecution correctly, right? What, what is persecution? And then lastly, are we, are we praying expectantly? Not in a prosperity gospel way, but in a way that just says, uh, we get to bow the knee before a God who is in control of all things. And are we, are we praying in such a way that we expect him to do what only he can do uh, to continue to usher in his unshakable kingdom and lead his church triumphantly? Yes. Is our, li- is our life reflecting that, you know, so. Good. You know, Murray, as I listen to that, I think in, in some ways you're, you're the only pastor your church has ever known, Murray. Now, the people have known other pastors, but your church, you're the only pastor. So in some ways... Churches often reflect, particularly younger churches, the personality of their founding pastor. Are your polarities intense in a time of racial division, economic hurt, um, a pandemic? The people, are they as polarized in your church as other churches? And, or do you have to make your people think of those outside the church when you preach? I would say that our church experiences uh every, we have every conceivable po- political position represented within our congregation much like what jeff said and i suspect is tr- also true of many many others and one of the things that has just been a constant refrain from uh for me is ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 we're to bear with one another in love um we we found that um that addressing these issues head on is far more healthy than, than avoiding them. And candidly, I, I, you know, as we got into this whole thing, the church shut down, we went, we went live stream only, and then we brought back worship in sometime in June, and then we're starting to add elements back and, you know, nothing really, I never took a seminary class that says how to, how to pastor in and out of a pandemic. And so a lot of it is, is learning through failure. And so not, not doing some of it well, having to learn uh, to build the airplane on the fly. We, we, I probably didn't address things as, as soon as I, as I should have, but we've, we've learned pretty quickly. For instance, the masks uh, has become a real polarizing thing within 
our community, within other churches, and, and within our church. And so uh, since, since masks are not required uh, for worship at, in Alabama, in the state of Alabama, uh, we have moved from a two-mask required service and outside tent offering and live stream and everything else to a one mask required and a mask optional service. And that's due to a number of factors, uh, uh, including vaccine availability and other items. But, you know, conducting a session meeting where we, where we talk about masks and do we require them, do we not require them? And then having what we called as a kind of a family meeting with our congregation and said, look, there, there are some of you that, that believe very, very, very strongly that um, that masks are important, and um, and that viewpoint is to be um, valued. And then some of you are on the complete opposite spectrum. But we've got to bear with one another in love. So we come back to Ephesians four. Um, it's 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 changed topics that we preach, uh, topics that we cover in Sunday school. We've tried to be uh, sensitive with uh, with the racial climate that we're in now and addressing those things sort of sort of head on, but at the same time trying to bear with one another in love as we navigate those things. And James, you know, in a sense, because yours is the youngest church. Again, you're the only pastor your church has known, but because it is so young, there's a sense in which it's still wet cement, still forming. Another sense. People might think I can really shape this church if I speak strongly enough or loudly enough right now. Um, are the polarities strong in, in your situation? If so, how are you dealing with them? Yeah, our, our people are part of the broader culture too. So uh, the polarities exist. I mean, the the twin kind of tensions that we've been trying to, that I've been trying to preach into is this idea. First of all, that the church is a as a nonviolent community. As we as we disagree about the things that we care about most, um, those polarities. It's okay for us to disagree about them. We've talked about them as opportunities, much as Murray mentioned, to believe the gospel together and uh, to know what's most important. So you've got that tension of nonviolence, and the other is uh, you know the gospel drives us into self giving constantly. That's our pattern of life. And so you know what what I've found is. Uh, preaching those themes over and over again, which are not hard to find in the scriptures. I mean, it's everywhere. Um, it, it gives us the ability to, to talk honestly about where we've struggled together. Um, it really drives people uh, toward, you know, toward repentance. And I, I think that's, you know, we've tried in the middle of these polarities to grab hold of what we hope of what we have in common. And, um, and I think that's, you know, that's been the most encouraging thing is to be able to say, let's not be afraid uh, in the middle of pandemic when trust is low, when uh, anxiety is high, to believe in these things that are the same forms, the same stuff we've always believed in. But let me drill down on a couple of things. James, I'm going to tell you where I want to come back to. Um, when you tell people that repentance, that we're being led to repentance in a times of polarity, yeah. I can see some people saying, you know, I need to think about that. And I can see other people saying, get out of my face. <laughs> you know, you're wrong. Um, but I'm, I'm going to give you a moment to think, how do you respond to those who are saying, I'm not the one who needs to repent. And I'm going to go to Murray instead, because um, give you time to think about it, James. 
or you said some topics have been addressed in Sunday school and church, but I'm curious in your preaching as well, maybe as a leader in the church, what topics have you felt necessary to address that are different than pre-pandemic? And maybe it's not pandemic related, maybe it's uh, racial injustice issues or whatever, but what have you felt necessary to address topically? Well, we, we certainly took a hard look at uh, the preaching calendar when all this began to unroll and say, okay, if one of the, if one of the primary uh, rules as a church planner that I learned so many years ago and continue to try to talk to church planners about is Semper Gumby, always flexible. Uh, how can we be flexible with our preaching calendar? And so we, we were and did and uh, in the fall of 2020, we did a series called Created uh, to Worship from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 through 13, and, and really just tried to address the reality that um, many people were, are making choices to attend uh, church from home via live stream uh, because it's safe, and and that's how they feel most comfortable. But some are making those choices because uh, it's 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 just more comfortable and easy. And so we tried to talk about what is, what does God's word say about how we are created in His image to worship, and what does that look like, and uh, to to participate in that. Um, now, all your friends, Murray, are here on the phone. We're going to go. We did note that you didn't go into chapter fourteen. We did note. <laughs> That's right. That you said, if I'm really trying to quell controversy, this is not the chapter to go into. So we, we did, we in did the know your chapter. pastoral wisdom there. Stop in the love chapter. Uh, <laughs> in January, though, we did say, okay, there's an awful lot of suffering. How do we understand suffering and God's sovereignty? And uh, I, I wonder if folks on the call are going to cringe, but we opened the book of Job and we took a tour through the book of Job and and that was probably one of the most challenging um, and yet rewarding personally studies for me. We had people uh, tuning in from all over uh, the place, sending messages about personal stories. So we talked about suffering. Um, we've talked about the problem of pluralism, which I think is sort of tangential to sort of the conversations that are happening out of the book of Hebrews. And then we're currently in the middle of a series about eight important questions, questions like, how does God speak? How do I know the Bible's true? Is there a real heaven and hell? And then plan over the summer to talk about the life of Joseph and opportunities for talking about generational sin and God's grace in the midst of that. So, and then we've had lots of very pointed Sunday school classes, but that's for Sunday school. And But our, yeah. our preaching has changed pretty in terms of what we're talking about, because most of our preaching is done uh, you know, expositionally, we, we pick a book of the Bible and we go, we go through it. We study what God's word has to say. Um, and so what we try to do is we try to take some topics that we might be interested in that are culturally relevant and treat those expositionally. Yeah. Suffering God's sovereignty in the book of Job, for example. You know, when you're, when you're expositionally dealing with hard topics and you say, folks, it's right here in the Bible and I'm going to talk to you at the door as you leave and they can ask you questions but you mentioned streaming and almost all the research I see says streaming is here to stay. Um, Jeff, I mean, you guys have technology. I mean, um, Chris Zoback, who's on this phone is going to know, you know, we're, we're kind of similar size and scope churches that we're that we've been serving. And 
So the technology was already there, but we've become far more dependent on it just to talk regularly to our people. Uh, as you look at streaming hard topics and being a pastor to people you don't see as they show up in church every Sunday, uh, at Perimeter is streaming here to stay. If so, how do you keep challenging people to that confrontation with the word, repentance before the Lord, valuing one another in God when I'm sitting at home? Hey, Brian, I wanted to add on to that too. I don't know if each of you have addressed this. Um, what is currently the status of, of how you're gathering as a church? And I'm sure that has evolved over the last year. And how did you kind of come about making those decisions um, to decide if you were gathering or not? Yeah. Good, Jeff. Yeah. How do you handle that, Jeff? Yeah. Well, Chris, to answer your question first, uh, you know, pre pre pandemic, we, we had, we live streamed our services, uh, but uh, you know, I don't remember the exact numbers. I think it was somewhere around, I mean, it was low. I, I can't remember, but definitely less than 15% of people were engaging with us online versus in person. Um, then of course we had a season where we were only online. So hundred percent participation through our live stream. Uh, as of today, you know, late April, 2021, and, you know, we're, we're still in this place where about 60% of our people have come back in person, but 40 to sometimes 50% of our folks are still uh, online. Uh, I try to, I like to think positively and say, well, that's just how many people are still not comfortable coming back. <laughs> but sadly, I think that's a lot of people who just are now in that place of, we're just going to stick to the live stream. I like this better. Right. So, um, so, you know, to Murray's point, we shifted a lot this past year. Uh, we had the whole sermon uh, series planned out for the rest of 2021. We shifted to address all kinds of things, Imago Day, salt and light, fear, uh, righteousness and justice. What is biblical, biblical justice, that kind of stuff. And in so doing, addressing a live stream audience and, uh, and an in-person audience and slowly beginning to wean off of addressing the live stream audience. So if you come to church now, to Perimeter Church on a Sunday morning, you're, I'm going to only address the live stream audience once at the very beginning. I'm going to say, so glad you're joining us this morning for you in person. So glad you're here for you. If you're joining us at home, thanks for tuning in. We, but we do a little video at the beginning of our live stream where we strongly encourage people to begin the process, prayerfully consider the process of coming back and joining in person. Uh, and if you're not, if you're joining in, we have people that watch for, from across the nation and even parts of the world. And we say, if you're not here in the Atlanta area and it's not feasible for you to join in person, we strongly encourage you to find a local church. We, we are fine with being a resource to you during the week. If our sermons and our teaching help you during the week, then that's great. But please don't let this replace your Sunday morning uh, fellowship with the body of Christ. And so that's one thing we're doing. Uh, we're, we're shifting our preaching plan to do an upcoming series that we're going to call uh, Worshiping Together. And just be teaching from the word, God's desire for God's people to be together, uh, worshiping in person and corporate body. Um, and so, uh, so we're trying, we're trying to do this delicate dance of being sensitive to the people who are legitimately in a place 
of potential health danger if they were to come back. Maybe they can't get the vaccine, whatever. My, my guess is that that's going to be a smaller and smaller number, obviously, as more and more people are not in that place. And, and very graciously, but very directly addressing those who've become too comfortable with a live stream and say, hey, this is not how God designed church. But Brian, to your point, everything I'm reading, everything I'm hearing is that it is here to stay. And how do we... Uh, in a denominational, you know, framework where we say, wow, this is, this is not how we want church. We don't, we don't see God's design for church to be in this way. How do we help people regather? Right. That's a big question we're asking among our leadership team. So. And those are important questions. And James, I'm giving you a long time to think about dealing with uh, people <laughs> that you're asking to repent. So let me, let me say, why, why do we feel that we need to wean from the stream you know, it was a cliche, you know, the last decade or two to talk about koinonia, you know, we need the body life of the church. And, and now suddenly we go, we're desperate for it. Now we're, you know, we're desperate for what we took for granted. But one of the reasons is if I have to challenge people as a pastor, I mean, I mean, really challenge people. How do I do that through a live stream versus I look at them and I meet and talk to them and whatever. Mm. And perhaps as James said, I have to challenge people. Are are your decisions being made for yourself or for the good of others? And where does that lead us in terms of repentance before God? So, James, long way around back to you. But um, between streaming and topic, how are you dealing with repentance before God or what I'll just call selfishness when it comes to these decisions? What have you had to do? Yeah, well, I don't, you know, <laughs> the sermon's not called repent and believe, you know, Um there is a there is a necessity of just we start by naming the darkness like all of you do. Um, you know, Murray talked about the specific topics that they've been discussing in their churches. The same for us. I mean, we we earn the right to talk about the deep things of the heart. When we're talking about repentance, one of the things I tell them is these are deeply held loves. These things that that cause us to get angry and to defend them with our lives. And um, I guess, you know, repentance begins with the pastor having enough gentleness and care for his congregation to know that um, these are hard issues. You know, the, the level of anxiety and fear, uh, the level of, you know, the, the, the depth of the darkness that people live in, uh, even believers who are just struggling through this season, um, I mean, it really does drive us as ministers to think, how do I, how do I join them where they are in the middle of that place? And, you know, it was awkward doing that on live stream uh, when it was, you know, live stream only, and you're looking at your face on a, uh, on a screen or whatever. Um, for us, you know, the, <laughs> the first week we're talking, we're lamenting and, you know, we're, we're digging into just the, the heart of this thing. And I'm trying to communicate to my congregation as one of the worst video pastors ever, I guarantee it. Um, you know, trying to communicate the care and love and uh, right, but right as the service is getting started, you know, I've got my, it's, we're at our house, we were shelter in place. I've got my, uh, my daughter next to me helping to lead through the liturgy. My other daughter comes up and does a fish hook right off camera. I mean, it, the whole thing, you know, I mean, the whole thing was fraught uh, from the very beginning. And yet it was, it was something, you know, to be able to talk about the gospel in a way as a, as one man who's also suffering with his people, 
who's sitting at home, you know, naming the darkness, realizing as we name the darkness that the light has not been overcome. That's what earned the right to talk about repentance because people knew that we're talking about this from a place of knowing that it's our shared suffering and it's, it's our shared improperly positioned loves that cause us to live this way. And so I don't think there's a way, you know, you can, you can follow the spirit of the age and come in guns blazing and, um, and you're, you're just going to perpetuate the cycle of violence, Brian. So just to answer your question in a long winded way. So Jeff, I heard you do a sermon. I called you afterwards and, uh, you were saying to people, folks, you may need to get off some of the uh, news channels and uh, turn off some of the social media and um, actually talk to your neighbor. And um, I mean, you were you were pretty straightforward <laughs> about, uh, you know, what it's like to be a pastor, preach your heart out and then have people call you on the phone and say, you didn't mention my candidate yesterday. Right. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so. Um, when is calling, when is it calling people to repentance? Have you sometimes just been hurt and you're calling people to, how should I say, don't hurt me? Or, or is, is that what happens to you when you call people to repentance or they're hurting too? Yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking about this whole live stream component to that. And uh, I think, you know, I can't remember if we were recording yet when I said this earlier, we were chatting a little bit before we went live here, but, um, I think there's this reality of when you have so many people uh, joining in online, um, at least in our context, you lose so much. You lose the ability to uh, be able to say, oh, my goodness, you know, hey, there's this is such a nuanced topic. This is such a com complex issue. And as we try to press the gospel into this, you're going to have questions. So come, please feel free to come up after the service. I'd love to talk to you, right? I can't, I can't say that, right? That's you lose that ability with the live stream. And, and one of the things we were talking about beforehand is I don't really remember pre-COVID, right? I mean, I had six months of normal in this seat before all this hit. And so I'm not real sure. I can't remember even Randy, my predecessor, how would we, Randy was always just so great at handling hard topics, but there was, there was that option to say, Hey, let's talk about this in person. And we lost that for so long. Now we're being in the South. We, we seem to be coming out of the shadows of COVID quicker than some other parts of the country. So we're regaining that maybe more, obviously more than some parts of the country, but I have to your point, Brian, there have been several times where I've been very pointed in my sermons and I think, you know, knowing my own heart and how sinful I am and how much I need repentance in my own life, I'm sure there has been some of that that has come out of just personal hurt, where I'm just like, man, you're going to come at me, I'm going to come back at you, you know, and that's that's my sin And that. I'd like to think there's a much, much bigger part of my heart that is just trying to shepherd a people uh, who are who are so fearful. And, and it's like I told, I was with a group of people last week and I said, it was a roundtable discussion, Q&A. One of the people, one of the persons asked me, um, what, what would you say, what would your, what do you think is at the root of all this division in the church? And my answer was, um, we have a discipleship problem. We have a discipleship problem. Here's the problem. Uh, we are being, so many within the church are being discipled hours upon hours upon hours a day uh, in, or, or a week with 
these voices from their chosen news outlets and Twitter feed and whatever it may be. And uh, perhaps having some quiet times in the morning, perhaps, I don't know, I'm not judging. Uh, hopefully they are. And then I get 40 minutes on a Sunday with you to press the word of God in. And if you're tuning in or if you're showing up, so we're talking about hours upon hours of information, feeding presuppositions that you have about the so-called enemy, right? And then perhaps maybe 40 minutes of God's word preached to you. I can't compete with that. Let me even support it by saying, so just the nature of my job these days, I deal with people in different denominations from time to time. Yeah. And it was interesting to have somebody from a very liberal denomination, not wouldn't hold perspectives that, that I would have much uh, kinship with, but this was a very kind person. And in the course of the conversation, she said, the difficulty right now of being a pastor is, she said, uh, my people are much more informed politically than they are biblically. Yeah. Thought, well, welcome to my world too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we do know that's the case. Let, let, me, let me put us on the other side of COVID. I just see our time racing and I, I so appreciate talking to you, but Murray, I'll put you on the spot a little bit because uh, I know a little bit about the demographics of your church, those people who are studying us right now say, here's going to be one of the hard things ahead, that uh, financial insecurity is going to grow intensely for certain fractions of our congregations, and financial affluence is going to grow very quickly for other aspects of our congregation. So, that, you know, we're, we're, if COVID continues to go down, we're on the brink of an economic boom. Some say we may grow more rapidly than we have in many decades, but occupational insecurity is also going to grow very rapidly. How are you going to deal with congregation that has both of these groups, they are to be mad at one another for politics or ethnic issues or masks, whatever is that, and then you throw into that, you're doing well and I'm not. How will you help people, Murray? Well, it, it's not just helping people in our congregation, but it's equipping, it's trying to think about how do we equip people to be in the various places God has called them to live their life as mission um, in their places of work. Uh, so some of them are employees, some of them are employers. And so how do we, how do we equip people with God's word to think about the, um, uh, the resources that he's given us in a particular time. Uh, in October of each year, we have a, a generosity series. But in this particular October, um, we took a we took on a, a a very different flavor, and I suspect that that flavor will continue to to season the the kind of sermons and even conversations that we have. We talked about what does generosity look like when life is so uncertain? Hmm. And we asked questions like, does the uncertainty of life and even difficulties of life negate God's commands uh, out of generosity with one another, out of generosity to, uh, to give of our time, of our resources, of our passions, of our gifts? And we talked about generosity in terms of whole life generosity. So how do we have our lives that are shaped not according to circumstance, but according to God's command that have ripple effects, not only 
in our congregation that God has called to gather here, but in terms of the, the places God has put us in everyday lives. So we, we talk about how can we equip our people to live their life as mission so that Birmingham as a city, the places God has put us in the, in, in the different places as a city would be changed as a result. And addressing, uh, address, addressing finances head on is just something that's absolutely critical. Just uh, tan- tangentially, uh, Brian, I, I have uh, many stories of local pastors here that um, uh, whose churches were highly dependent upon passing the plate and having doors open. And um, when the mandatory shutdown happened, those churches closed their doors, not because they wanted to, but because they had to. So I don't have the answer for that, but I I know that that means that there's a certain level of responsibility and generosity that we as a church by God's kindness, for whatever reason, did not experience that hardship must deal with in a, in a, in a generous way. And rather than turn a blind eye. Yeah. James, I mean, that, it causes me to turn to you and say, I mean, you're, you're the newest church among us, probably, probably the mm. most fragile in terms of, you know, what winds might flow of either mm. difference in the congregation, uh, just financial challenge in the congregation. Mm. What, what topics do you know you've got to address, but you're not sure if the people are ready to hear it yet? How do you get there? How do you get to the things you have to talk about when you're not sure they're ready to hear it? Uh, well, I mean, being driven by where the text is taking us, um, we had the unique opportunity in the, in, in our study of the book of Luke, as soon as pandemic hit, we were hitting, uh, abortion, divorce, um, human sexuality. I mean, we were, it was, it was one of those moments where, you know, our people understood that we were doing that. They understood that, you know, that's what we had to do. Um, so that made it a little bit easier, but, I honestly, a big part of it uh, came from the pastoral care conversations that I was having with people regularly. And I I really tried to think that um, to be, to be a good steward of the life of the people that God had put before me meant that I needed to understand those meetings as divine opportunities to write my sermon in process and um and so as a practice i expected that at least one of those conversations were going to greatly impact the sermon in one way or another and i would i would attempt to speak to that thing um and so i i think that was a big part of it the other conversation you know conversations that i anticipated having i'll be honest were not all that different than some of the ones we've had in the past um we did we did have some pretty significant conversations uh, around uh, racism, prejudice, you know, a lot of the things that were happening as a result of uh, kind of cultural wins and getting to those conversations in a way that was even handed and loving was hard and taught me a lot as a, as a preacher and as a pastor. I think one of the big things, I'll just briefly say this, 
is the the preacher who breaks out the prophetic voice selectively should get rightly hammered. And um, and it doesn't mean that you don't break out the prophetic voice, but it does mean that there's probably an opportunity for us to apologize in our unwillingness to use it more even-handedly and more frequently than we do. And so, you know, for those in our congregation whose consciences are seared by these things, you know, they're going to get frustrated and we need to be able to say, you know what, I was wrong to not talk about this before. And, um, and I should be talking about these other issues too. You're exactly right. And I'm going to, I'm going to take the opportunity to do that. So I think those, those are just some of the things I think about, right? It's really good. Well, you're courageous, courageous even to say it. I'll uh, give a little bit of my history of, of COVID before uh, my next question, which is this. So I began pastoring a church as COVID came through, you know, we, we closed down the services like everybody else did, went to streaming um, now, some of that was, uh, you know, good weather followed. And some of my funnest times ever as a pastor was having services in the parking lot, you know, where they, if they liked what was in the sermon, they would honk their horns and, you know, they would bring the tents out and the kids would play. And, you know, it was like a revival, you know, it was, it was so much fun, uh, to have those church services. But of course, then you have to read the social media posts later, which say, you know, why aren't we inside? And, you know, why are you obeying man and not God? Yeah. And um, so th then there's the hard, hard conversations. I, I can remember uh, one particular social media post. I asked the man to come in and talk to me. And um, I confess I was ready to give as good as I'd gotten when he came in my office. And, um, and the first thing he said was, uh, I didn't do anything wrong. And I said, you look at the words you use compared to everybody else on the social media. Well, he didn't look, he just started to cry. And he said, you don't understand. He said, this is my family. And without my family, I'm not sure I can make it through this. Well, you know, my pastor's heart just flip-flopped. You know, I suddenly, you know, you can just kind of imagine the social awkwardness of this man, why he is struggling so much. And suddenly, you know, he desperately needs us and he cannot process why we're making a decision not to be meeting for the sake of every, I mean, he just can't process that. So my heart goes out to him in the course of time. Of course, I take this new position that you guys know about and suddenly start hearing from dozens and dozens of pastors, lonely, isolated attack. Like I've never been attacked before the very people I love, the very people I serve. I don't know if we're going to make it financially through this. Don't know what my family's going to do. I didn't sign up for this, you know, you know, I signed up for the white steeple and the and the picket fence, you know, and 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 now, I, you know, the pickets are coming after me is what's happening, you know, and all of all of that. So. Um, and yet you do see people marvelously, marvelously ministering to one another um, Again, different ones of, you know, affluent people have carried the church through COVID affluent people have carried the church over and over again. Where, where we were, Chris was, there were a couple of individuals who said, I'll just make sure we don't die this year. So I'm not going to tell Chris who those people are, but some people just said, well, I'll carry you through. Yeah. Well, you know, that takes such pressure off. But they didn't say for two years. You know, they didn't say when everybody else stops attending. And so now, you know, there's all those worries. Where I'm going is this. How, how necessary is the message of hope for your people 
how necessary is the message of hope for you? How are you taking care of you through this? And um, James, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, how important is hope and how are you taking care of you? I love this question. Um, so I, I'll, I'll make this brief. There was one message of hope that I received in an unlikely way the other week. We have been meeting outdoors. I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and it's, uh, the weather is fickle, let's say, at the very least. And uh, we met, uh, I mean, we, we met uh, all the way, um, all the way up until uh, November. It, so you can imagine, we made the rule that we would not meet when it got below 35, okay, outdoors. We started meeting again outdoors, um, you know, in uh, recently in March. And so it's a challenge, but anyway, so we're, so I'm out there. Uh, it's, it's the week after Easter, which has all the attendant issues of the week after Easter service. My assistant associate pastor is there. He's preaching. Wind starts picking up. Uh, it blew his conclusion off the pulpit. He didn't have his conclusion. It was gone. Uh, suddenly uh, worship folders start flying past uh, the, the video screen, the, 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 the streaming screen, because the wind's taking them all away. Everything's being blown all over the place. We're trying to do communion. Kids uh, knock over the, the camera and it falls down. So everybody at home seeing grass for a good like 30 seconds. It, it's really, it's awful. And, and, and I'm laughing in part because I'm not the one preaching. I just have to say that's one of the reasons why I'm laughing. But at the end of the service, uh, I'm walking up and, I, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just laughing because what can you do? I mean, this is where we are. And, uh, and I come up to a couple who's new to our church. And by the way, our church grew 40% during pandemic. And our giving grew about that much too, which was just crazy, it, which told me that the less people uh, deal with me in person, maybe the better uh, for our church. But, but uh, the, the crazy thing was, I came up to this couple, it's brand new, and they had been hurting, just wanting to be in worship again. And they said, this was amazing. I just, I can't believe it. I, I love this so much. I'm so grateful. And it made me think, how bad must their church experiences be in other places <laughs> that this was good? But the other thing it made me think is, boy, Jesus knows what people truly need. And the fundamentals are strong in what we do. When you feed people, when you, when you, when you nourish them, when you care for them, when you welcome them in, when you give them a place to belong before they believe, when you do all of that stuff, you find that people are renewed and healed and encouraged. And the pastors are too. So, so you know, for me, that's how I've learned to continue to rest and, and uh, to grow in the middle of a hard time. And our people have ministered the gospel to me that way too. So I don't have an original uh, no, no, answer for you, good. except to say that's what it looks like. The Holy Spirit knocking at your door too. So that was, we know that's also. <laughs> I, I know I heard that too. I was like, wow, that is I'm so sorry. fitting with what you're just saying. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Uh, this is the world that we live in right now. Support James. You know that you're on the right track. Murray, uh, how important hope, uh, how are you taking care of you too? Well, I'll just say that this, this season has been one of the most personally challenging seasons I have experienced in my uh, vocational career thus far, just preaching to uh, people in masks. Um, 
But Easter Sunday was genuinely one of the most wonderful days I can remember. And it wasn't because there were a lot of people back. There were, but it was, it, it was, it was the, it took you back to the, to the foundation of why we do all of this, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ um, is the only one in whom we have hope. I think this pandemic has uncovered the deep longing for hope that every person on the planet has because they're made in God's image. And we as the church of Jesus Christ are the only institution that has the hope for which they long. And it doesn't come in a syringe. It comes, uh, it comes through the cross and through the empty tomb. And I think we have to remind ourselves of that as preachers. Uh, I just remember sitting for a long time after the doors were closed and the lights were off and everybody was gone from Easter and just reflecting on the kindness of God in the midst of difficulty. Of course, you know, I'm not sure I've taken care of myself in great ways. Uh, we try to do all the normal things, the physical disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, but in God's kindness, just uh, glimmers of hope through the resurrection celebration of that on Easter and, and certainly other, um, other things throughout the year have been, have been encouraging, but it's been, it's been really, it's been really hard. It really has. Leading is hard. It is. And Jeff, you know that too. I'll, I'll turn it to you. How I'm, how important you feel it is to have a message of hope for your people and how are you taking care of you so that you don't lose hope? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just in so many ways, just say ditto to what Murray said, the, the resurrection, the hope of that we have in Christ, the, um, the assurance that we have of him as our good shepherd and, and his triumphant leadership of the church. You know, there's so much of what I've anchored in. Uh, the unshakable kingdom. Um, I, I do, uh, I do really believe, and even am beginning to see, at least in our church, um, that God is doing a really great work through all this. Um, and that's not just me as part of my personality. I'm, I tend to be very optimistic, but I really, you know, I think there's a purifying work that God's doing in this church. There's, uh, as much as you hate to say it, and maybe I shouldn't, but <laughs> there's, you know, there's a part, there's a blessed subtraction that's happening, right? At some level of like some people that are just realizing, hey, I'm, I was only in the church for what it could give me. And now it's not giving me what I want. You know, my pastor's not endorsing a certain candidate from the pulpit. And so I'm out, you know, it's like, okay, well, I, I really want you here, but um, there's a purifying work that God's doing it's painful and challenging and it's all the reasons why Murray's saying, man, this has been an unbelievably hard year. Um, but yet the Holy Spirit's at work building and purifying his church in a way uh, to where I think that church is going to absolutely look very different in America in the decades to come. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing in terms of, of really clarifying the gospel mission of the church, really clarifying the, the purpose of who we are and why we exist for the glory of God. Um, and, um, and so I, I just get a lot of hope from that. Uh, um, I think the gospel is going to be crystallized for our people in some very real ways going forward and already has been. And so that's, that's deeply hopeful. Um, 
And then, and then by God's grace, I've just had some men in my life as far as taking care of me who've pressed in real well with me. They've encouraged me deeply. Uh, they've asked me the hard questions. Um, my elders, the elders here have just been tremendous in, in that way as well. And so um, very, very grateful for the community around me. It's this provided a lot of hope. So. Well, I think you all have, all of you said important things. James, I some, you, you look for those resurrection moments, you know, where the Lord is giving you uh, hope. And Maria, as you talked about maintaining some of the life disciplines, but also taking joy in what you see the Lord providing. And uh, Jeff, I mean, you have to have those oasis people in your life. Uh, you, it, the Lord did not mean for us to go through it alone. So all those are important things. So don't know what's next. We've had what? Pandemic, presidential campaign, uh, racial injustice and riot, refugees pressing on our borders. I don't know what's next. Uh, I know the Lord knows. And uh, I know the Lord, uh, Lord's people need our churches and uh, need ministers with the wisdom and heart of you all. So I thank you. I'm going to pray real briefly. We are hey, uh, to you. Go ahead, James. I'm sorry. I, I know. It, it, I, I just, I just want to add just this one thing that Jeff made me think of. And I, the, the bill will come due for the last year of all of our leadership, of all of our work, even if you don't think. And I like how Murray was uh, honest about the fact that he's not sure if he's done all the right things he thinks he has, you know, and I think there are a lot of ministers, a lot of ministry leadership folks who are going to be receiving the bill for the last year in their exhaustion, mm -hmm. in their uh, just lack of enthusiasm for what comes next. They're very little emotional margins. And one thing that's been very helpful for me, and I'll just say it for anyone else has been uh, speaking to a, a, a clinician, speaking to a counselor who, um, who can help you process those things in ways that sometimes friends can't. And you don't even need to think that you have an issue. Certainly, I, you know, one of my challenges is I don't think I have those problems, right? But when you sit down and you talk to somebody who's gifted to draw some of that out of you, it can be really important in healing. And I just want to say that for those who, you know, again, the bill's going to come due. And guess what? You don't get to take the next three months off to recoup and to heal. You just keep doing what you're doing. And I just think that I think it's critically important that people get help and have a chance to talk about what they've gone through and, and speak about that with someone. Amen. Thank you, James. That's a wonderful conclusion for us. Thank you all for being honest and courageous and compassionate in the way you talk uh, now, but I know in the way you talk every Sunday too. So uh, thank you. I'm going to pray. Chris Oback, anything you need to tell before we sign off here? I don't know if there's anything that, that we need to tell, but something that I was reminded of is that, you know, we talk about like there, there's kind of a normalcy that, that we just kind of grew accustomed to prior to COVID. And I think this time has maybe hopefully provide an opportunity for people to kind of rekindle that fire and, and, and not be so complacent that that can come with just your, your normal day to day until something throws things off. So, um, you know, I, we talked about potential economic boom. I hope there's a, there's a spiritual boom that comes as a result of this as as people are coming back together and, uh, realizing just the, the joy that comes in gathering and, and really who we have to lean upon, uh, amidst all this and into the future. Yeah, well said, well said. Heavenly Father, um, we understand that apart from Christ, we can do nothing, but our lives sometimes echo something very different. We think if we don't do it right and don't do enough, your church falls. It will not. 
Instead, you have shown us all uh, in this last year how much we and your people need the church, while certainly there are some habits of mere cordiality and courtesy that have fallen away, and some people will resign from the church because it just isn't necessary for them anymore in terms of what they were seeking. But others will renew their love for one another and Christ out of a desperation that they did not even know they had. And so we pray that as we minister your word, you would give us deep insight into the human heart, as well as deep insight to how your word may help and heal and strengthen there. We ask your blessing, thanking you for those who minister in Christ's name. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.